Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away. Let me speak for the love of God. Hey, what's going on, everyone? You are listening to Good Movie Monday, the weekly movie show presented by FakeShemp.net. Grab some coffee, stick us in your ears, and hang out with us for the next hour as we get all nerdy and talk about movie stuff. And when I say hour... Who the hell knows what that means? We haven't been able to land this hour since this bloke arrived on the scene. The guy having the VHS meltdown over there, Ben Halwig. Hey, mate, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I apologize. I, I do like a good tangent. Oh, well, mate, don't we all? And what a banger of an episode last week was, speaking of tangents. Oh, yeah. Jeez. That, uh, that uh, seemed to go all day. <laughs> the gloves were off, too. It was hilarious. It was great. I had a, I had a really good time, actually. So if you're listening and you haven't heard it, go back and have a gander because it was an all-in rapid-fire episode featuring Jared, Guillermo, and Adam, plus the two of us. Went down very nicely and was received rather well by many people, which is good. Um, We're glad you all enjoyed it, and we do plan to do it again, so make sure you stick with us because uh, maybe we can do it live at a desk altogether. That would be fun. Yeah, it would be amazing. Speaking of those guys, uh, they will be along later in the show to bring their usual segments covering movie news, home entertainment, plus a random review. And we'll also be talking to Beth Darlington. She's our special guest. She's a London-based Australian paranormal researcher, and she's going to be discussing some quality ghost movies from a paranormal profession point of view. So that'll be good. But Ben, let's um let's start with a, a few topical uh, news points. And I'm kind of stealing Guillermo's thunder a little bit here, so we won't go too deep into it. But the latest instalment of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise has run into a bit of trouble with the Irish twin directors Ryan and Andy Tohill being fired from the production just one week into the shoot. They've been replaced by a guy called David Blue Garcia, or Garcia, who made a film called um, Tiano, which I haven't seen. They're going to scrap all the footage shot and start from scratch, so interesting. What do you make of this? What's your take on the uh, the Chainsaw Massacre franchise? Well, look, I mean, look, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the most iconic horror franchises there is i mean the first the first two are magnificent and like the alien films completely different one and two are completely different films yep uh and then three and and then the reboots four and all of that sort of stuff and like i actually quite like actually quite like the reboot the 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 jessica beale yeah reboot and then 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 there's one with uh alexandra daddario pops up in which i think was the is that the 3d one uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it was yeah, actually. They, like they've tried, they've tried everything and anything with the with the franchise. So with this one, have they fired them? Is this one of those projects where they on first day of shooting they're three weeks behind? No, I, I think it was um, something to do with. And look, I, I think Guillermo might go into it, but I think it was the the producers were not happy with what was being produced, like what the footage was coming out. Oh, they didn't like the dailies. No, yeah, and right. um, decided one week in, let's just scrap this. Because the interesting thing is that this is a direct sequel. I mean, how many of them have said this since, you know, 
yeah. since the sequel's been turned out. But this was a direct sequel. And what I like about the concept here is that it's catching up with Leatherface as a 60-year-old man, which right. kind of brings the timeline far more in line with the original than any of the others. But why, like, why Leatherface? Like, I, like, I get it. He's the most iconic character in the show, but he's like a, he's, he's not like the sharpest tool in the shed. Like, he's like a almost mute, kind of fat, crazy guy, like almost childlike. I guess we've come to the point that these franchises need a boogeyman, and like, the what would Chainsaw Massacre be without him? So they're basically they're turning him into like a Jason Voorhees, or uh, they've been doing that for like the last a, thirty you know, years. Bill Crowley kind of thing, like that's what they're. But that's what they. But in like in you know he's like he's a member of the family, but he's not even the leader of the family in the in the early films. So no. yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I mean it all started know, with Jeff guess, Burr's uh, film Part Three, which they called Leatherface, and you know he's kind of been their their mascot since then. But whatever the case, I mean, I always look forward to a Chainsaw Massacre film, but it's been possibly the most inconsistent hogwash of a franchise I I, I know of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, look personally, I think um, they really they really opened the door for Hatchet, the Hatchet series to uh, yeah. To kind of come about and they kind of i think hatchet kind of stole their thunder because the hatchet hatchet is almost a better remake than any of the kind of modern remakes yes. even though even though as as you know clearly kind of over the top and silly as the hatchet movies are um yeah like it, it is a bit of a mess and they keep and this is what seems to happen these days like they, they remake it they reboot it it doesn't kind of work and then they just redo it again like nightmare on elm street like uh yeah um you know. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't you hold that thought because we'll talk about some reboots and remakes later in the show. Sure. Um, speaking of which, um, Bloomhouse are producing a reboot of The Thing with John Carpenter on board to produce and I guess score it perhaps, but um, not much has been revealed other than the fact that it's happening, whether it's a remake, a sequel or a prequel, who knows. But what are your thoughts on this one? This is interesting. Well, because it's like everyone's just completely forgotten about the sequel or the prequel. The prequel, I like prequel, that. Which was actually, which just wasn't bad. Like, I mean, I could have done with more practical effects over the, yeah. kind of, from memory, it was a bit of a CGI mess, but the actual people part of it was pretty good, I thought. It had a legitimate basis for the story to be based upon because we knew about the Norwegians from references in the film. Yeah, you that's know, so right. It's an easy thing for them to sort of, you know, get onto. The only thing that doesn't really seem to make much sense to me is that they never seem to work. Like, I mean, so, okay, look, some do, like, and we're going to talk about them later, but most of the recent ones of these reboots and remakes and rehashes have tanked. Yeah. Like the Thing one, I don't think the Thing uh, prequel was a box office smash. It, make, it makes you wonder why they go back to the pool. Yeah, like Nightmare on Elm Street, I don't think the those ones were particularly, you know, huge box office earners so yeah so like Tell you what well i'm just this puts me in the mood this puts me in the mood to talk about this so let's do that in a minute actually we'll bring it forward right. and do it real soon but um first uh jarrett's just chomping at the bit to tell us some stuff so let's just throw it to him hey this is jarrett and welcome to pe class now there's a lot of releases coming out this week both new and old so rather than tell you everything that's coming out i'm going to keep it strictly to a few titles and that's because there's a lot of rep product coming out that's been out before and it's just being reissued with a new slick so let's keep it simple and kick it off with umbrella entertainment 
and they're releasing The Last Wave on Blu-ray and DVD. This is Peter Weir's 1977 Australian classic and it's making its worldwide Blu-ray debut. And in fact, this is the first release in a new line from Umbrella titled Sunburnt Screens. So in addition to a brand new 4K master of the film itself, Umbrella's Blu-ray contains a bounty of extras that includes all new interviews with key creative talent from the film. It's a very exciting release and the DVD release also features the new transfer as well. But why would you buy the DVD when there is a Blu-ray available? I don't know, it's just crazy. Anyway, Cold Girls is also coming out on DVD. This is Mark Bacatus' hypnotic horror. And we played it last year at Monsterfest. In fact, we hosted the world premiere of the film and it went down a treat. The film stars Jane Badler and Sarah Lamberg. And it's a real sensory nightmare, this film. Like, it's beautiful to look at, but it's a chilling kind of film to actually experience. And Umbrella's DVD is loaded full of special features, including an audio commentary, a making of documentary that I may or may not have shot a few interviews for, uh, so featurettes, music videos, and a short film. So Cult Girls is hitting DVD. Check it out. Then Mad Men Entertainment are releasing another film that had its world premiere, at Monsterfest last year, and that was Mike Green's immersive and gruelling survival thriller, Outback. And it's headed to DVD this week. DVD only, unfortunately, no Blu-ray. And as far as I know, there's no special features either, which is a damn shame. Then Rialto Distribution are releasing another Monsterfest 2019 alumni with the film The Wretched. This is a modern folk horror, and it's gone on to be one of the most successful films at this year's box office in the United States. Now, this is partly due to the fact that cinemas have been closed and the drive-ins have been in operation, and there's been so few new films coming out at the drive-in that this really was the film that set a trend for independent distributors to start putting you know, their releases that may have been bound for VOD into drive-in cinemas and make some serious cash. So it's a strange tale. And in fact, Monsterfest hosted some drive-in screenings of this film as well a couple months back. So there you go. Then the last distributor with some releases I want to talk about this week is Shock with their label Cinema Cult. They've got two titles that are making their local Blu-ray debut. And the first one is You'll Like My Mother. It's also coming out on DVD. This is a 1972 suspense thriller with Patty Duke and I thoroughly recommend it. I picked up the Scream Factory Blu-ray a couple months ago, and this was a film I had not seen. It was a blind buy, so I bought on Blu-ray and I was pleasantly surprised. So if you can pick it up for $15.98 or somewhere around that price point on Blu-ray locally, I would do it. Then the other release coming out from Cinema Cult is Night of the Demon. This is the 1957 fantasy horror classic, and it's making its Blu-ray debut locally. And in fact, it might be the first time it's been released on DVD legitimately in Australia. This is the original British theatrical version of the film, which is the uncut version of the film. Unlike the US, they trimmed a bit out and retitled it Curse of the Demon. Anyway, that's it for me this week. Until next time, stay physical. Live from America's premier horror and paranormal convention, every Friday night, Scarefest Television brings you guests from the horror and paranormal fields, plus featured movie reviews, entertainment features, and short films. Watch us live every week at scarefestradio.com or via Facebook and Twitter by following The Scarefest. Scarefest Radio, the radio you can see. So we're actually back to doing our DVD giveaways after a small break, and uh, we're doing them a little bit differently this time. Here's a TV spot from many years ago. All you have to do is guess what movie it's advertising. We'll give you a rundown on directions a little later in the show, but have a listen to this. 
the ultimate skyscraper is having some problems. Well, we'll get those problems before they get us, right? With its heating. You! With its elevators. With its pools. Don't be alarmed. There's a logical explanation. Rated PG-13. So, do you reckon you know what that film is? Stick around and uh, follow the prompts later in the show. But Ben, let's do it. Let's talk about remakes, sequels, reboots. Um, let's maybe stick with the reboots and the remakes. Are you a fan of the remake? Some of them, like, like I, I can't, like I know earlier it kind of sounded like I was dead set against them and they didn't work. But there are some shocking uh, exemptions to, or, or uh, exceptions to that rule. And they are some of my favorite films. Like I, I think a couple of weeks ago, I talked ad nauseum about uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and that's a that's a remake slash reboot, and that's phenomenal. Um, yeah. uh, one of my all time favorite uh, horror reboots is is you know apart from John Carpenter's A Thing, which we've already mentioned. I mean, that's an amazing that is an amazing film all on its own. But is uh, Chuck Russell's The Blob? Oh, like that how good film is. That? is is one of the most awesome effects driven horror films that, I, that I, I've ever seen. Like it is amazing. And it totally is just agree. from, from almost from, I think from about the 10 minute mark, it is nonstop horrifying. Like it is just downright scary. Yep. Um, so like there are, you know, there are those kind of exceptions, but for the most part, they kind of suck. <laughs> well, yeah. I like mean, the, that's the thing. Like, I mean, in general conversation, I'm very anti remake. I don't like remakes, but this whole new I, I'm going to say new concept of reboots kind of, I'm on board with it because you can reboot a film and still tie it in with an original series. Yeah. Look, I mean, look, that being said, you know, there's nothing wrong with a remake. I, I'm, I'm not, uh, it's not like I, I'm uh, uh, in love with, so in love with the original that I'm not open to a new, you know, idea or a new take on it. It's just most of the time they kind of suck. Like the worst ones, <laughs> the worst ones are the ones where they're, they're like serious TV series that they yep. then remake as kind of slapstick, stupid comedy yeah. films like Starsky and Hutch, even though that yep. does have some great moments in it, but uh, <laughs> you know, chips, you know, the only one to do it Stephen kind of seriously, wise. like SWAT, which I actually quite enjoyed. Like yeah. that's actually a proper f- film. They didn't go for like, it's not a comedy, like, like a lot of these other ones are. And you're like, what, what, what is it about? What is it about these you know, series that they decide, well, we can't, we can't make these things proper movies. We've got to, we got to kind of do tongue in cheek kind of wink winks at the audience because uh, you know, it just yep. doesn't seem to make any sense that they completely throw away everything that you love about the original property and make something well, com- like, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't. Compete. I'm going to play semantics with you because I think things like SWAT and even like the fugitive, I think they're just rather than remakes, they're adaptations. You think they're adaptations of the original? Well, I mean, yeah. I would say like, yes, if you're talking about, um, something like uh, uh, William Friedkin Sorcerer, because that's what he considers it to be his production of of Wages of Fear rather than a remake of Wages of Fear. But SWAT, like a lot of those other shows, they're not based, they're based on, like they're created Characters. for TV. They're not yep. based on books or, yep. you know, like, you know, I can't remember what was the one that some of the other, one of the other most recent kind of remakes went back to the source material and it was based on that. And I just can't Adam's think of family. the name. Adam's family. Adam's family is a great one because the comic strip and the original kind of cartoon series are completely different from the TV series. Yes. And then the original reboots 
the non-animated reboots were were reboots of the TV series, not the the comic book. And then the cartoon that came out just recently, the animated film, that's going back to the original kind of comic strips. Yeah. Which is great. But yeah, it's it, it's it's a tough one. Several years ago when I was much more precocious, I actually sort of put out an article. I don't know if it's even still online, but I I I put out my three rules of a remake or a reboot. Right. So let's see if they still hold true. The first one was if the original film still holds a legacy or a big significance within pop culture, then it should not be touched at all. Right. Um, examples would be stuff like Psycho, um, Chainsaw Massacre. I know you enjoyed the remake, but Planet of the Apes. The ones that sort of have a big following already and hold up well should not be touched. Oh, well, I don't know about Planet of the Apes, mate. Uh... You love it, do you? The Tim no, Burton no, one. no. Like I, I enjoyed the Tim Burton. I mean, you know, take a leave. I, I, you know, I've got a soft spot for it. I, I rewatch it every now and then, and I really like the the recent ones. But the original one, the the first Charlton Heston movie is pretty good. But they get progressively worse as that series goes on, yes. and you can kind of like divorce yourself you know from that. But that's why I love the I love the newer ones, like with the ones with Franco started, because yeah. they are reboots because they connect with the Heston ones. Yeah. You know, so they are part of that universe, whereas the Tim Burton one just sort of... Well, it just did its own thing. It's a bit more... Um, I guess there was a bit more logic to it, although they, they do make it... You kind of think, hang on, the, so the Planet of the Apes is a different planet until you realise Yeah, the that, logic no, they... at the end is not logic at all. It's yeah. the opposite of logic. Yeah. Um, but then uh, number two was uh, if the film in question has dated poorly or is widely unknown or even received poorly, then it can be remade. And that's stuff like... The thing, because the original one doesn't hold up because of the way the effects were produced back in the fifties. Even oh, I still you know, like all that stuff. Oh, so do I, dude. So do I. But you know, <laughs> like, with... give me a give me a giant iguana as a as a gila monster any day. Like I love that. It's the I same with like the fly. Stuff. I love the original Vincent Price fly, but I think given its B movie um, status and lack of production value. Yeah. They can come forward with that one and update it very nicely. Yeah. I mean, look, and those, like, I mean, it's hard to imagine, you know, when you kind of think about the timelines and how far away, how long ago these things seem and stuff. But at least those remakes were all like 20, 30, 40 years apart. Whereas now yep. we seem to reboot something after two years. Yeah. You know, it's and ridiculous. you're like, well, it didn't work soon. the first time. Let's try it again. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. And we're so like, barren of ideas. The, um, the new uh, James Gunn Suicide Squad is being released as the Suicide Squad, the same title as the previous one. Yeah. <laughs> and they've brought Margot Robbie back because her character obviously landed with an audience. And yet I think this one is a complete reboot. Like they're just starting again from scratch as if the first one the didn't universe. exist. Yeah. Just absurd. Well, I guess if, you know, those, I mean, look, that Suicide Squad was pretty, pretty bleak. <laughs> Well, this one looks good, but uh, the know, first one was so, terrible. You know, I guess, I guess the, the 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 original one that they're rebooting has no uh, kind of nostalgic fan base. Well, this so, is where num my point number two comes in. Yeah. It's dated poorly or it was poorly received. But like you said, two years apart—that's ridiculous. It seems a and bit my, short. My third one was um, pretty much just reboot shit instead of remaking. And I think there's some good examples there. I think that one we talked about with the thing. That was good. Evil Dead, that reboot was great because it kind of does blend in with the original universe. Yeah, I didn't really like that one, but uh, yeah, no, I can I see what it. you mean. 
But I, the I Easter just, eggs are in there to suggest that the, it's the same universe and, 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 you know, good old Ash was already there. Was already there. I just, my problem with it, and it's, I've only seen it the one time, so my memory may be a little hazy, but I didn't like any of the characters, any of them. And like, you know, say what you will, like you watch, you watch, um, but pretty much Evil Dead, like I'm surprised at like how likable Bruce Campbell is, how his character is like a nice guy, but the guy he goes up with, his friend, is a real asshole. And I, yeah. I don't remember that as a as a kind of kid watching it, but like yeah. watching it again recently, I'm like, geez, that guy's a real I just prick. think with the reboot, I think they were trying to wrangle the horror back. Like it, it yeah. had gone too far to, towards comedy that they wanted to really bring the terror back. And I think they succeeded. Yeah. I think it was a really scary film. Yeah, I may have to give it another another go. And Maybe. Piranha 3D is another one. Like that's a film that I love it. I really that's great. do. Uh, uh, but 3D and 3DD. It could easily be part three, and that's why they called it 3D. I think they tied it in as if it was a third film in the franchise because yeah. part one and two weren't connected. So why does number three have to be connected? But those those films were always kind of you know cheesy, yeah, kind of B movie. So when they remake, when they reboot it or 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 do a third one, that's still in that kind of. You know, yeah. with a modern sensibility, but still that same kind of cheesy tongue-in-cheek kind of. You know, that's yeah. fine. My objection comes when it's like you know, like Starsky and Hutch. Like it's a pretty, it's a pretty kind of adult yeah. kind of drama TV series, and they turn it into like they they. I mean, I I've got my own problems with Ben Stiller and <laughs> and uh, Owen Wilson uh, in his big movies, but like it's just a bringing those. Like Will Ferrell is hilarious in it. You know, the dragon, all that sort of stuff is great. But really, like those two guys in the lead, I was like, oh, come on, man. Like, why am I watching this? Like, even, and I love the Broken Lizard guys, but watching that uh, Dukes of Hazard, the Dukes of Hazard <laughs> oh remake, God. and it's like, geez, man. Like, painful. who said yes to this? Who who said, oh. and they produced a prequel to it? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like, who who gave them the, those millions of dollars? Like, I mean, no one goes ahead to make a film that's bad. Like, they don't set out to make a bad movie. And everyone in that movie has made good movies in the past. Yep. So, like, you, it's just, it's got to be, like, that kind of, you know, test audience kind of box checking that, you know, they try and make a movie for everyone and in the end make a movie for no one. Yeah, why do they keep returning like to do these? Because they don't land. They never do. They're ridiculed. They're you know lambasted. Yeah, like I mean, what. like if you're going to remake Dukes of Hazard, yeah. why not just go completely different? Yeah, you know, like you can't set something now, especially now. You can't set, you know have a couple of good old boys from the <laughs> south with a car with the you know with the Confederate flag on the on the roof and stuff. Like you just can't do it. Like. Why can't they be the Dukes of Hazard doing something else? Like, yeah. why can't they? Why just know? not do it? Yeah, like it just. Uh, to me, I'll tell you one. Sense. Before we move on, one real guilty pleasure though for those ones where they wink at the audience. Baywatch, man. That was I great. yeah no that yeah, yeah that's correct. I really I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, the Baywatch reboot. Um, because I think they took the comedy differently to the others. They treated it more like look. We're going to wink at you right from the start. We know that this is a lampoon and a parody of of Baywatch, but at the same time, it's a love letter to Baywatch. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot smarter. And yeah, definitely, like there is definitely a love for the source material in that Baywatch reboot. Whereas you think that you get the impression from those other ones that they think they're above the source yeah. material, which is what really kind of ruins it, and makes it disappointing. I don't think I've laughed um, so hard at an opening sequence than than with Baywatch. Yeah, yeah, no, it's pretty good. Like you know, I mean, 
he's like the rock is great the rock can pretty much do anything well that i i would have i would have stood by that statement until i saw skyscraper but anything (laughs) other than skyscraper like yeah that guy could do anything What's happening everybody, it's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com Happy to be back on Good Movie Monday Let's cover a little bit of what we've covered on the website in the past week Kicking off with production on a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie that's hit quite the speed hump Directors Andy and Ryan Toehill have exited production on Legendary's Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel just one week after production began. The studio has been quick to find a new director, placing David Blue Garcia at the helm. The Toehills were making their sophomore feature following their 2018 indie thriller The Dig. Similarly, Garcia will now be making his sophomore film following 2018 indie thriller Tejano. Apparently those dreaded creative differences were behind the abrupt split. Apparently Legendary wasn't happy with the footage they were seeing, so Garcia will be coming in and having to reshoot from scratch. The planned film is to be a direct sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And in case you hadn't heard, Ben Affleck will be returning as Batman in The Flash movie. That's right, Batflick will return along with Michael Keaton as the Dark Knight. The long-awaited Flash movie will have Ezra Miller playing the DC speedster in his own film. And in case you're wondering how it's possible that we'll be getting Affleck's Batman and Keaton's Batman in the same movie, The Flash will be adapting the character's pivotal 2011 Flashpoint crossovers in the comics, where Barry Allen seems to be the only one aware of an altered DC Universe timeline, a multiverse plot that includes various timelines and dimensions. Since we have Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton back as Batman, the speculation as to whether or not we could get Christian Bale, George Clooney, and imagine it, Val Kilmer back as well. Director Ed Zwick, known for Legends of the Fall, Courage on the Fire, Blood Diamond, and The Last Samurai will next be tackling a romantic comedy titled The Making Of, set to star Richard Gere, Diane Keaton, Blake Lively, and Lin-Manuel Miranda. According to Deadline, the romantic comedy revolves around two couples, along married filmmakers Gear and Keaton, that have cast over-emotional actors, Blake Lively and Lin-Manuel Miranda, to portray their younger selves in the story of their great love. Unfortunately, by the time shooting begins, their fabled marriage is unraveling. The filmmakers want to make a hit, the actors want to tell the true story, whose version really is the truth. Zwick has also written the screenplay. That about does it for me guys, just a short one this week. Be sure to also jump on ScreenRealm.com for my review of Tenet, Christopher Nolan's highly anticipated 11th feature film. We also have a ticket giveaway for Bill and Ted Face the Music, and all the latest release schedules for Netflix, Stan, Shudder, and Amazon Prime. Thanks so much everyone, I'm out of here. Fun size. <laughs> Welcome to the oh Jesus Christ! Welcome to this fun size edition of Bonehead Weekly. In this episode, we're going to talk about our least favorite Nicolas Cage movies. Now you know that James is a huge Nick Cage fan. Chad and I do like Nick Cage, but James is no. I, I disagree with you because I'm right up there with James. I'm a huge Nicolas Cage fan. Oh, oh man, you'll ever be up there. I, with I think I think the reason I love Nick Cage and will defend Nick Cage is he takes roles that I would take. Like yeah. literally, call me up and be like, in this Cash. Movie, well, no, no, it's not even cash. It's like he literally, he, there's a film where he plays a guy named Acid Yellow. And if you call me up, all you have to do, James, we want you to have a, play a guy named Acid Yellow. And I'm going to be like, all right, yeah, I'll be on set. See Even though we're fans, obviously I'm not the uber fan of the other two, but I do like Nick Cage quite a bit. And, and, if, we time, and if we time this correctly, our next episode will be our favorite Nicolas Cage movies. He plays Balthazar in The Sorcerer's Apprentice, and it's his least interesting performance ever i see i like that movie you made i didn't say the movie was terrible it's okay it's fair to midland at best it's you're right it could have they could have had a different actor they could have had right 
No, they, they're, Nick Cage brings nothing to that movie. Should and have been John Noble. I may not have agreed with his performance in Color Out of Space. He gave a Nicolas Cage performance in Color Out of Space. I There's nothing in of him as Balthazar in that movie that's worth a shit. All right, can I go? Can I go? No. I need to get this. Literally, the one that gets to me, and it's obvious, and it's it's it, Wicker Man. And I feel the same <laughs> about Wicker Man. I, I was going to pick Wicker, Wicker Man, Man. I one of you will do it. Wicker Man, it's the same way but different in that Nick Cage, does Nick Cage have a great freakout scene in Wicker Man with the bees? Sure. But does he bring anything to it? Did that movie need to exist? Well, the movie is... It doesn't need to exist, but he his performance in that a, movie is entertainment enough. You know that who movie is dog shit. That it movie, is dog when shit. I saw that in theaters. It is absolute terrible, wretched, smelly, smelly dog shit. You yeah, know, but ugly, his performance... The, now, the only way we need a wicker man. Well, he did it's the ridiculous. And he's got the gun and he introduces himself with the 14 names or whatever I am. Yeah. Inspector. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, my God. I don't the know. The only the way got made. The only way I want to see another wicker man movie is if it's more like the first one and the cast is Nick Nolte and Gary Busey in the competing roles. <laughs> that movie. The only way I want to see another Nick. Oh, I, I know what I want to see. I want to just go back and watch the original Wicker Man because that movie is genius. It is terrible. Say, but no, no, that's what I mean. Do the original shot, is shot genius. Remake. The remake is an absolute. But if you're going to do another Wicker Man, do a shot-for-shot shot remake of the original, but just Nick Nolte and Gary Busey and just let that camera roll. And Gary Busey not, is the detective. Yeah, <laughs> Nolte yeah. is the crazy son of a bitch. Yeah, you need you need. And by the way, I, I and I'd say that I have admiration for both those actors. That would be a Wicker Man I'd see. Ugh. I'm still I'm still under the belief that that Wicker Man Nick Cage knew it was going to be a piece of shit. So he's like, you know what? I'm just going to act the dumbest possible way and go completely over the top. And that's what makes that movie somewhat he said watchable. In the interview, it's it's a comedy. I guess I don't find it funny. It's I don't not even funny. Find it funny in a shitty way. All right, so this is the only Nicolas Cage movie that I've seen where I was actually bored. And I like much of, I don't understand why he was in it. He really served no purpose other than Nick Cage being in it. And so they could put him on the poster. Season of the Witch, 2011. I actually enjoyed Season of the Witch. I know you did. It's not good, but I enjoyed it. It's not good. And he doesn't, he doesn't serve, he doesn't serve a purpose. It's not a Nick Cage performance. It's just, he's there. He's saying the lines. He, there's really no delivery to it. Yeah. And I own that movie, but jog my memory. Is that him and Ron Perlman? It's him and Ron Perlman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. And Stephen Campbell. It's a completely forgettable movie, but I don't remember hating it. Yeah, yeah. I, I do remember I'm, they got to transport the witch because they think yeah. she's causing the plague. And he now I need to go back and watch Season of the Witch. It's directed by Dominic Cena, right? Right. Yes. If you do watch Season of the Witch, make sure that you pick up every stitch. Beatniks are out to make it witch. It, yeah, rich. I screwed that joke up. But you know, even with even with Wicker Man, like I said, you can see Nick Cage. You know, go ab- absolutely apeshit crazy. Season of the Witch, he's just there. He's just saying the lines. There's no performance there. So that's why I picked Season. And I, I watched and I was bored because he wasn't being Nick Cage. So that's why I picked Season of the Witch. Dominic Cena also directed another Nicolas Cage movie that people love that I don't care for, Gone in 60 Seconds. It's been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. Tune in next week for. So. Interesting there, James mentioned that, you know, what he wants to see in a Wicker Man sequel, but I wonder if he knows that they actually did make an official sequel to the original film. It was um, 2011, it was called The Wicker Tree, and it was directed by Robin Hardy, 
um, director of the original. So it starred Christopher Lee, Graham McTavish, Jacqueline Leonard, and Honeysuckle Weeks. What a name, Honeysuckle Weeks. I like Honeysuckle Weeks. Oh, do she's, she's, she's in some, uh, some of my favourite uh, TV shows, TV series. Yes. Anyway, thanks again to the Bonehead guys. That was great. Although I did not care too much for the Gone in 60 Seconds Sledge. Um, and where was mention of Left Behind, one of the worst films of all time. I like, I like, I like, I like Left Behind only because it is, it's a rapture film. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that Nicolas Cage is somehow gone, yeah, right. I'll make a, I'll make a rapture movie. Like, why not? <laughs> and it looks like the cockpit of the airplane was filmed in someone's garage. Yeah, I just I like to think of it as as if they made it on the set of the Langoliers. Socialize. Short and sweet. That was The Grim Grinning Ghost by the Bare Naked Ladies from the soundtrack to Disney's The Haunted Mansion from 2003. That song was actually originally written to accompany The Haunted Mansion attraction in Disneyland. So another little bit of trivia there for you. And the reason that we've gone along with that song is because I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine. Uh, but in all honesty, she doesn't really need an introduction because she is literally the first person you ever heard on Good Movie Monday and you hear her Radio Perfect voice introduce our show every single week. Her name is Beth Darlington. She's the founder of Access Paranormal and she is the much respected figure in the paranormal world and um, we'll get into that in a moment. But first, let's say hi. Hey, Beth, this is way long overdue. How are you? Oh, it's so good to be chatting with you. It's been a long time. It's great. Great to be on the show. Oh, I've been meaning to do this for a long Do you remember when I once said to you, let's do a podcast together? Yes, I know well, how many years. <laughs> I think that's proof we should not do a podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this uh, is going to be good. <laughs> uh, but before I fire questions at you, let me give people a bit of a rundown um, and then you can maybe correct me if I get anything wrong. So you began working in the paranormal Probably 10 years ago, you started as part of a team but eventually branched out to become an independent investigator. You began your para work in London before moving back to Australia where you continued for the better part of a decade and now you find yourself back in London. How am I doing so far? Perfect, mate. Perfect. 
your general approach to the paranormal, for lack of better phrasing, is that you adhere to a process of elimination, meaning uh, that I guess you're open to all legitimate scientific explanations and debunkings before you consider your findings to be paranormal? Absolutely. And you created a website called Access Paranormal, whereby you offer tutorials and advice to people interested in your line of work. And uh, from there, you've produced a podcast called Access Paracast, which is a great name, by the way. Uh, and you attend various events all around the world, including the Scarefest, which is how we met. And you are one of the few people in the paranormal field who enjoys engaging with skeptics. How's that? Oh, my gosh. You don't so know your research. It's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> it's as if I know you or something. <laughs> True. Now, before we get into any questions, no doubt there's going to be people listening to this uh, who are skeptics, given that this is not a paranormal podcast. Um, so let me just put them at ease a little bit and let them know that I am myself a skeptic. I'm not quite a non-believer, but more so a guy with a fascination and open-mindedness. Uh, however, I am yet to be convinced. Uh, and it's got to be said that your work isn't the stereotypical ghosts and boos and woos. There's a science base behind your method. So to address the elephant in the room, I have to ask that one question. How good is Ghostbusters? Oh my gosh. Uh, like, honestly, the, the, the original, you cannot go past it. I mean, even I think I watched it maybe about a year ago again and I thought you can't even get away with half the stuff they got away with when, <laughs> when the movie came out. But I love it. I love it. And I've, obviously I see it with a, a very different set of eyes to mm. uh, a lot of other people, you know, the terminology they use. Uh, some of it I'm sort of half eating them and lemon, but at the same time laughing at the same time. It's just so great. And it's it's so iconic for, for people such as myself because – Often when you'll say, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a paranormal investigator and people are like, oh, so you're a ghostbuster. And it can, <laughs> it can really be, you know, it's one of two things. It can be great and it can be terrible. It can mm. be great because then at least people have an idea. Okay, we don't have the machines or you're not crossing beams and shit. But, you know, people have an idea that you actually look at possible phenomena. Then, of course, there's the draw card in the sense of, like, oh, it's just a bit of a joke. And it's like, yeah, for some people, but if you're dealing with people who are scared in their home, it's not not quite. So it's a double-edged sword, but I'm so glad for it. And, you know, ghost busting is often what people say, oh, is there, you do your ghost busting. It's like I don't capture them. I, <laughs> I investigate <laughs> phenomena. But it's such a great movie. You've got to be, like, one of the smartest people I know. And, you know, for the people that think it's all kooky and stuff, I've got to tell them that there's actually some legitimate, you know, theory behind it all. And, you know, it, it's fascinating as far as I'm concerned. It is. It is. It's been, a, as you know, I mean, it's not something you'd be doing for over 10 years because you're bored. You know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, you know, you learn every different experiences people have and what they do and, and, and how they deal with fear and how the body responds to fear and what, why we always do it in the dark. <laughs> I love that <laughs> saying. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun and very intriguing. Like I say, it's, it really is like chasing the dragon. You're finding, you're finding your answers the best way you can. I remember, I think the first time you asked me what I thought about it all, I just, I just said it was an untapped science. That's how I'm going to look at it. Perfect. That's a perfect way to do it is little bits of science that, you know, if, if people are really looking at seriously are using, you know, tiny, tiny bits of physics and tiny bits of other bits of science and, and psychology as well and, and kind of moulded up into this pseudoscience. Yes. <laughs> so. so you mentioned before chewing on a lemon. I guess this would be a stupid question because I guess the same logic applies to every profession that's depicted on film or television. But how do you feel the paranormal is represented in entertainment? Oh, wow. It's uh, only in the last, I'm thinking probably the last 10, 15 years, it's really picked up. 
um, particularly because of the um, paranormal investigation shows in the States. I think a lot of movies then have kind of fallen on the back of that and been created, uh, which is great because for a while there it was quiet in that regard. And I think people realise there's, there's a, a real sort of fascination about it in the general public, you know, who doesn't love a good ghost story? Yeah. Uh, but now they're obviously exploring it. I mean, obviously the, the first one was, was paranormal activity. I think that's a comedy personally, but it's, <laughs> I, it's just, I look at that and I'm like, oh, come on seriously and, and but that's because obviously I look at it very differently and I've got to take my my investigator mind out of it and just think oh my gosh we would love for that to happen if I was on the case very very rare to have anything really happen much so paranormal activity I think was the first start of it really kind of pushed the whole movie side sort of it as well and then of course now the the relevant poltergeist cases are now being represented in film with the conjuring and Annabelle so it's actually branched out a lot more because yeah. there is an audience they're realizing that are really interested in this not just our paranormal enthusiasts such as myself yeah well, it's funny that you said that you know paranormal is a bit of a comedy to you which I totally get because I was wondering do you find that the satirical more comedic content in the para world in the para entertainment world is much more legitimate because generally speaking in every other genre when it's satire it's far more believable like your spinal taps and things like that you know it's a far better representation of that world is it the same with the para world it can be. There's been a couple of productions I've seen over the years, um, predominantly more so on YouTube, where people have actually got some really good written comedy about what it's like to be doing a, a paranormal investigation. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, the name is oh, um, Ghost Provokers was one of them. And that, you know, it just it, it was it sort of, like you know, makes fun of what I call the bro code of the black shirts. So that's basically the, you know, everyone's wearing black, everyone's got their arms out, everyone's got the frown and they're, and they're doing it seriously. And we're I want to get some spirits and I was like oh wow and, and they really kind of take the, the piss out of it and I think that's great because you need to because you cannot take yourself too seriously with this crap. <laughs> I think the best thing I've seen is probably um, Wellington Paranormal from the guys in New Zealand mm. that made What We Do in the Shadows. That felt to me like a legitimate love letter to the paranormal as well as taking the piss. It is. It is, and I love this, the the sense of humour and the tone that was used through it. I'm not sure if it's being Antipedian that you kind of uh, you know get the jokes a lot more, but geez, it, it was a really like you said a love letter, a nice way of actually representing what people do as opposed to making it look stupid, silly. It was actually really funny, really yeah. good, and and it's, it's very well written, and it's actually really quite popular amongst paranormal investigators in the community, particularly when the main protagonists aren't from the para world, so they're lost in it. Whereas you know when those real people come into it. They're the ones that know what they're doing. Exactly. That's exactly right. The irony. The yeah. irony. <laughs> so let's talk about Scarefest. Um, this is how we met uh, in a roundabout way. So listeners are familiar with it because I talk about it all the time on the show and we have an affiliation. How long have you been with it for? I, I originally went across to Kentucky. Gosh, it would have been about five, six years ago now. Gosh, it was six years ago. Goodness. And I, I went across on the whim. I was like, you know, it's one of the, the biggest, one of the best um, paranormal and horror con conventions. You know, some headlining people on both sides of the fence were, were always in attendance. And, you know, we in Australia, we obviously know it's like the biggest paranormal and horror convention in the world. And, you know, why would I not want to go? Like, you know, it's like, you know, bitch, take my money. Literally, it's that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, but obviously, it's not exactly down the road when you're flying from Australia. 
but I obviously got to to know the owners at the time, and obviously they're now the new owners, of course, as well. Beautiful people, lovely, um, a very warm, very welcoming, and and very appreciative of what as uh, for the the journey that I had made um, multiple times. And you know, obviously, um, the last time I went, I was actually able to speak at um, at Scarefest as well about the light and fluffy topic of demonic possessions and exorcisms. So oh, <laughs> it was wonderful. great, and I survived. <laughs> <laughs> Did you Brilliant. talk about the, uh, the the incubus and the succubus? I did talk about um, incubus, yes, I did. I also talked about um, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who obviously feature in the movie of The Conjuring, uh, Conjuring and, and uh, the likes of that. So, And I, again, survived, so <laughs> it was good. But it was, yeah, just such a great experience. The, it just It's such a festival feeling. And, yeah. you, you know, seeing regular people and people, rem- oh, you're the Australian and and you're just so welcoming and, and often, you know, I'd fly on my own there. So I and I never actually ever felt on my own. And it got to the point where I even brought a couple of friends um, from uh, Adelaide as well, Alison and Cag from Adelaide's Haunted Horizons. They came with me um, two years in a row because they had so much fun, uh, you know, one the first time round and just how much, you know, how, how well it was designed and how the, the events went and all the different topics I think I was involved in a panel discussion with Christopher St. Booth as well. It was just, it's, you know, it's, it's life, life, you know, bucket ticking type stuff, you know, like yeah. really just incredible. It's, it's a great, it's a great venue, great time. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely indebted to them because it introduced us and we're good mates now. And who would think I'd be hosting Scarefest Radio? So there's that. That's the best. I love it. I love it. And all through our good mate, Billy. <laughs> Billy Crank, of course it is. And he's no stranger to this show. Um, what a legend. So a question I've been wanting to ask you, but I've kind of saved it for today's show. As a legitimate paranormal investigator slash researcher, what are five films that you would suggest might be the most honourable depictions of your field? Ooh. Um, Just to put you on I'd the spot. Say, yeah, just to put me on the spot, on the spot. Well, I'd say, uh, gosh, most representative in the field. Um, I'd have to say the first one would be uh, one that I'm involved in. <laughs> Of course, clearly. <laughs> uh, shameless self-promotion um, called Ghosts of Europe. Mm-hmm. It's available still on Amazon and it's uh, where we went through uh, Eastern Europe in Slovakia and uh, the Ukraine and predominantly um, there was one episode there uh, where we were actually in the, um, Chernobyl. So we actually got to do a uh, mini paranormal investigation in Chernobyl, of course, which you can only do during the day because they shoot you if they're past 10 p.m., um, it's still a working nuclear plant. That's the reason why. So you're like, okay, I, I believe you. I'm, I'm not sticking around. So it <laughs> had to be done during the day. And that's the interesting thing because a lot of investigations and you'll see on TV is always done at night. But if, you know, if spirit's around, then it's around 24-7, isn't it? So why why would it disappear? Because the sun's up, you know, they're going to get sunburn. I don't know. But <laughs> it's um, it was a really great and incredible experience. And then obviously we went to an abandoned um, orphanage afterwards. There was an old school as well. It's all these really creepy places. Um, and it's a very different vibe in that part of the world. I tell you that there is a lack of colour I've never seen. <laughs> it's just incredible. <laughs> You're used to the sunny, glowing Australia and then you go there and like, wow, it's just a different vibe. So I would have to say that's one of them, definitely one of them for sure. And I think also, again, we've mentioned Ghostbusters. I, I say not as accurate, but just you just got to watch it if you haven't already, unless you've been living under a rock. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's just it's a it's great fun. entry film for most people. It is. Oh, so is, so is. Um, I I would like to, I, I think I put forward, but it's not necessarily inaccurate from my own experience, but The Exorcism of Emily Rose, 
Yep. Um, only because it's about a very famous case, well, the famous exorcist case um, uh, that I've come across, obviously, with Annalise Michael. Um, again, because I'm not of Christian or Catholic faith, I can't attend an exorcism, but I do a lot of study in it. And I think it's it's been a, a very, um, obviously, there's a cinematic representation, but it's a really good representation of a snapshot of all the, the things that this poor woman went through, um, whether you believe in demonic possession or not. I, I personally, myself, I don't think she was, um, but, it's, but that's the hell that she went through um you know going through the experiences and it's fascinating stuff and i remember watching it it was like 14 years ago and i couldn't sleep for six weeks <laughs> <laughs> back in that back in the day when i didn't have my testicular if you get my drift so everything frightened me um but yeah courage has grown over the years and i can actually sleep and not sit there trying to listen for scratching in the wall uh, well, that's a great one that you say it's great that you say that because that's one of the more ambiguous films mm. of the lot because it doesn't give you an actual explanation it could go either way and it's up for you to make up your mind and that's what you're doing you know in your profession absolutely that's 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 how it, you, you know to be a certain level of gray or shade of gray as i said not 50 shades but a certain level of gray yeah. <laughs> that's your other <laughs> job other, that's the other job that's how i pay my bills now <laughs> <laughs> Hey, no one gets paid to do paranormal investigating, okay? It's <laughs> great. Are there any others? Some of my favourites. I was wondering what you thought of the movie Session 9, which I think is the greatest sort of um, ghost slash paranormal film out there. To be honest, I don't think I've even heard of it. Excellent. Ooh. Well, there's one to add to your list. I should have told you this I years know. ago. I know. Session nine. I have to remember that. I have to remember that. It's about a crew of workers cleaning out the asbestos in an old asylum and um, discover a room that sort of, you know, suggests that something bad happened. And it's a very subtle film. Like, it's not like Ghost in Your Face or anything. It's just very, you know, minor things that suggest, you know, the horror. And it's it's a beautiful film. Oh, wow. I'll have to check that out because sometimes they can be in your face or stuff. I, I was disappointed with The Conjuring. Um, yeah. I, I just, it just, it, you know, there was, it just was like, you know, paper mache really just like, there was just no, no stop substance to it. It was just gluey and messy and just nobody wants to touch it. So I was just like, oh, no, <laughs> it's not my thing. Yeah. That's like, um, that's like saying that, you know, Lethal Weapon is a great cop movie, like, you know, a good representation, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> so true. So true. Well, Beth, it's been like an absolute pleasure having you on the show about, brings us to the end unfortunately um i know that our professional worlds are miles apart but it's always great when we try to bring them together like this so thanks for indulging me we'll have to do it again because we only just scratched the surface and i can't wait to see you again yes yes once you get out of lockdown (laughs) they might they might let you out of the cage and you might actually be able to come to this side of the world with your lovely lady (laughs) (laughs) well we can hope um anyway thank you so much and i will see you around excellent thank you so much These things are real. I have seen shit that'll turn you white. All right, well, that's all the confirmation that we really need, mate. Like, from a well-respected paranormal researcher, Ghostbusters for the win. (laughs) Any movie that uh, that features Jennifer Runyon in it is uh, is all right with me. Because we had Beth on the show there. Let's um, let's talk about some some ghost movies. Uh, Before we do, though, during that interview, I mentioned Session 9. Being one of my favourite paranormal films, Jared and I recorded uh, an entire Rewind and Digress podcast talking about Session 9 at length. Scroll back, I think it's episode 9 of that show, and um, that's a really, really good conversation. So anyway, we've got a minute or two to sort of touch upon this. I'm going to be real quick and let you take the reins on this one. Uh, Here's an obscure and overlooked one for you. Have you heard of a film called From Time to Time? 
it doesn't ring a bell. This was made in 2009 and from the creators of Downton Abbey of all things. It was uh, a family-friendly okay. ghost period kind of movie directed by Julian Fellows. It stars Maggie Smith, Timothy Spall, Dominic West and Hugh Bonneville. And it's described as a ghost story spanning two worlds and the story is essentially a kid that has the ability to go back and forward in time and when he's in the past, he appears as a ghost and he's able to solve a family mystery. And it's just a really, really cool, quirky, unusual kind of film. That, that would be my recommendation for a ghost film, although there's obviously many, many that I could recommend. There's many. So, I've got a couple. Awesome. Um, the first one I I, uh, I re I rewatched uh, two of these for the show, and one I, I kind of I know pretty well. Um, this uh, film from 1989 called Ghost Rider. Oh yeah, I know it's, it. <laughs> uh, it's directed by Kenneth J. Hall, who co-created the Puppet Master uh, series. It's it, it's produced by David Dakota. Uh, it's executive produced produced by Ruth Landers, who is the mother of the two stars. Uh, Judy Landers and Audrey Landers. Now it's got it has an exceptional cast. Like the rest of the cast include Joey Travolta, who plays a character <laughs> called BJ, uh, George Buckflower, Jeff Conaway from Greece, John Matterzak from Ice Pirates, uh, Anthony uh, uh, Franci- Francisciosa, Franciosa, whose name I can never pre- I can never pronounce that guy's name right, um, and uh, David Doyle and Peter and David Paul. Otherwise, more more well known as the Barbarian Brothers. This is a, <laughs> this is a great film. Basically, Judy Landers is a uh, she's a, a writer for like a people style kind of celebrity gossip magazine in the in the eighties. And uh, while her apartment is being renovated, she moves to she goes to stay at her aunt's beach house. And her aunt's um, beach house was the scene of this um, kind of famous Hollywood suicide this um she uh and this the character is played by audrey landis who was like a marilyn monroe type yeah um one day just walked out into the ocean and, and killed herself tragically um but, but of course while judy landis is there because she's related she's like the half sister or so she's she's related somehow to the audrey landis character she can see the ghost of audrey landis who pops up and uh basically tells her that no she didn't commit suicide she was actually murdered yeah and uh she has to help track down the the real murderer because she's not 100 percent sure who it really was it's essentially the plot to ghost yeah basically yeah without without uh any pottery there's just no pottery (laughs) in this one Uh, but i mean the the the, it's the it's the skeleton of that script isn't it yeah basically and it it, look it it is a really it's a thoroughly entertaining kind of slice of 80s fun it's you can watch it now it's on amazon prime on prime video you can stream it uh, pretty easily, and it's well worth your time and effort. I agree. I agree. I think I have it on DVD somewhere. The second one I want to talk about is a film from 1985 called School Spirit. Oh uh, man, talk is... about a film—a cancelled film. Like if you, yeah, I don't oh. think any streaming platform would have this one. No, it's it's on Prime. It's on. Prime. Oh wow, excellent. Uh, they'll take anything, and uh, God bless them. Uh, it is a phenomenal film. It's directed by uh, <laughs> Alan Holeb, who also did uh, Candy Strap Nurses, the only other film this guy did. Mate. Um, it stars uh, Tom Noonan from Dead Heat. He plays a character called, I love this, his name is Billy Batson, which uh, if, you, if there are any comic book fans out there, will, they'll know that that is the name of the little boy who becomes Shazam in the, <laughs> yeah. in the DC comics. His name is, and he basically, the plot of this film is great. Yes. Um, it starts out with he is trying to trying uh, to have sex with um, Elizabeth Fox, 
and he has to he doesn't have a condom so he rushes out to get one and while he's out getting the condom he gets hit by a car and uh and dies and he's on the operating table his his old pervy uncle <laughs> it's great uh played by joe finnegan who's um his uncle pinky who's from the journey of natty gan and uh, he's in hard bodies and and uh uh a bunch of other stuff yep comes to take him to heaven but because his uncle is a is a dirty pervert as well he uh billy manages to distract him with a hot nurse and then escapes because he really he needs he wants to have sex with elizabeth fox and he's he's not willing to go to heaven (laughs) until he can achieve that goal um and so of course he goes back and uh and then he gets involved with all all the kind of the stuff going on at the university like he's a university student it's a college campus kind of thing and uh larry linville from mash frank burns from mash plays the crusty dean uh because that's who you get to play the dean when um john vernon isn't available uh (laughs) his his drunk wife is played by roberta collins who uh most uh listeners should know um, was Attila the Hun in uh, Death Race 2000. Uh, his his horny party party girl daughter uh, is played by Marta Koba from Friday the 13th Part 2, Rad and Neon Demons. Uh, Danielle Arnard uh, is the sexy foreign exchange. But she's not, she's like the, the sexy kind of, uh, uh, what is she? She's the descendant of the person who founded the university, who's there to give them a new endowment to allow them to build a campus, which yeah. is a, a new, um, a new uh, a building on the campus, which is what you know, which is the yeah. kind of major plot line of the other kind of film going going uh, on. And um, she, the only thing she'd ever done prior to this is she's a um, she's the girl in all the ZZ Top music videos. <laughs> she's got <laughs> legs. Um, but and when course, all is said and, and done, this guy pretty much takes advantage of his his uh, ghostly uh, predicament. Yeah. Oh yeah, like he, he can turn invisible by doing this weird thing with his hand over his head and 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 waving his fingers. And if you've watched Video Hoarders, the Video Hoarders season two, you've seen me do this, make this hand movement a number of times. Uh, but he can turn himself invisible. So the first thing he does, as any of us uh, dirty per- perverted uh, uh, men would do, is he goes into the women's change room. Yes. And can't he, can he actually, like, um, integrate himself with their bodies? Uh, I think he can kind of take over. Yeah. I have a memory of him doing that. Yeah, he doesn't do it much. I think he kind of does it in the girls' change room when he becomes visible because of the steam. Yeah, yeah. Which is what, you, you know, <laughs> what a trope. Which any, any self-respecting ghost should know that that's going to happen. And uh, there, is a, uh, there is a fantastic Jim Minorsky connection to oh, uh, School Spirit, and that is the actor Nick Siegel who plays the kind of suck up student uh greg he is one of the uh the horny dudes in uh, chopping mall oh, so uh, there you go that well, is you got a, about uh, you got about uh, i guess 30 seconds have you got another one there one more and that is of course heart and souls which is the greatest oh. ghost ghost movie ever made oh, um boy that's a film know. i haven't thought about for a long time like that was the glory days of robert downey jr i love that era for him it is yeah it, it, like i think it is his to, to date i think it's his best film um, it's directed by Ron Underwood, who also directed uh, classics like Tremors and Pluto Sea Slickers. Pluto Nash, also a classic. Uh, the Ghosts, <laughs> uh, and basically, so basically, what happens is there's a bus, a busload of um, people, uh, and I think the bus is driven by David Paymer. But um, and on the bus are Kira Sedgwick, Alfred Woodward, Tom Sizemore, and Charles Grodin, and Amazing. they have an accident, 
And instead of uh, being taken up to heaven, they get stuck in the kind of their spirits or souls get stuck in uh, the, a newborn baby that's being born at the hospital where they're all taken. And that yep. turns, in, turns into um, Robert Downey Jr. And they basically, because they're like his best friends when he's a kid and he can see them and he interacts with them, but no one else can. And so because his parents think he's insane and take him to all these kind of shrinks and stuff, they decide to disappear so that uh, he can live a normal life. But yep. then when he turns, I think when he gets into his twenties and he's about to make a horrible kind of life changing decision, they come back yep. uh, and, and kind of um, start interacting with him again. And then like he kind of gets together with his old girlfriend, Elizabeth Shue in possibly one of her most appealing roles. Mm-hmm. Um, like who wouldn't want to be married, to marry Elizabeth Shue in this film. I don't know. Mate, you bought, you bought the bangers. I, I tried to, I tried to mix it up. And you bought sort of um. I didn't want to go the with the kind of typ- horror. I didn't want to. I didn't want to do yeah. the standard horror. Yeah, you bought the less than typical yeah. ones to the show, and that's yeah. awesome. Um, and I'm I, I'm disappointed we didn't get to talk about Ghost Dad. Um, uh, but you know, there's <laughs> there's never enough time to fully get stuck into such things. So I was going to say, there's never can... enough time to talk about Ghost Dad. No, um, so perhaps we can have Beth back on the show sometime and dedicate the entire hour to talking about ghost films. Anyway, uh, it's Adam's turn to have a talk, so let's see what he's got for us. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. Now this week I will be reviewing a movie that I didn't want to be uh, reviewing or recommending and it is Inside Lewin Davis. Now the reason why I never thought that I would be doing this is because I was hyper resistant to this movie and I don't know why. Um, I think that I had a miss interpretation of what the marketing was of what this film actually was i thought it was dour and serious or was going to be really strange and was going to be some like the worst elements of the cohen sensibilities so i was really really pleasantly surprised with how taken i was about this movie so i'm not a dylan fan i'm not into the folk music scene and that's what this movie focusing on our character lewin davis here focuses on on the folk scene in the 1960s but what this movie is is incredibly funny and it's anchored by such an amazing performance performance by Oscar Isaac and he's offered here great support by everyone from John Goodman to Kerry Mulligan and uh, even Justin Timberlake and the songs in it are beautiful and it's one of those movies too as well that maybe I was you know a bit apprehensive about because I thought it may be a musical kind of like you know uh, well what happened is is that this movie's like Sing Street which I've reviewed again on this program and it's one of my absolute favourite movies the last couple of years where the music is integrated into the movie in an organic way it's just performances and Oscar Isaac here is so talented in that regard that you can't help falling in love with this guy and so basically you know I mean you have what is a very fascinating uh, narrative element where you have this guy cannot get the most basic shit right in his life but he has an obscene amount of talent and which one of these elements are going to win out and that's where you go for in this journey of this film um it's absolutely gorgeously shot Obviously, the soundtrack kicks all kinds of ass and is populated with all these great actors. And so this has definitely got to be one of my absolute favourite films of the Coens. Um, If I am to go and give any kind of concession for this review, it is, is that it does have a really strange ending and I'm not going to get into any kind of spoilers because I hate spoilers in reviews. Um, But what it did was that it kind of angered me and it kind of confused me, but it got me thinking and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since I've seen it. So if you have got a take on what that means, uh, if you've got a theory and stuff like that, hit me up because I would love to, you know, to discuss it. And that's what really good films do is that they challenge you. So 
inside Lewin Davis. For me, for the majority of the time, it was a five-star movie, and I'm just still struggling with the ending, so I don't know if that score is concrete, but check it out and make your own mind up. And yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Well, it's about time Adam got around to that one. How good is Inside Lewin Davis? I have a funny feeling Ben disagrees, but uh, we won't talk about that. Um, Time to hit you up with a couple of recommendations. If you're new to the show, this is where Ben and I recommend one movie each, which hopefully will inspire you sometime down the track to check them out for yourselves. And hey, if we get enough people on board and responding with their thoughts on this show's comment section, then I guess we've kind of made a movie club. So that'd be cool. Mm. I'm going to go first this week, Ben, um, and I'll keep it snappy. I'm going to recommend a movie that everyone needs to track down. It's from 1989. It's called Roadkill, which was the uh, debut film from Canadian director Bruce McDonald. This is a brilliant black and white rock and roll road odyssey. Uh, it's about an intern who is from a record label. She hits the road trying to track down a touring rock and roll band who've gone AWOL. And along the way, she meets all kind of characters, including a wannabe serial killer played by Don McCalla, who just doesn't know how to break into the field. And that is just hilarious it's a batshit crazy film cameo there by joey ramone so it's very rock and roll infused and the interesting thing about this one it was the first film of his rock and roll trilogy which he completed with highway 61 and hardcore logo and then years later he would expand that entire universe with hardcore logo 2 and then a real ripper of a film called trigger um with molly shannon not molly shannon molly who's molly from kissed what's her name from deadwood molly parker uh Molly Parker. It's a great film. I adore Bruce McDonald. Jarrett and I actually covered one of his horror films, Pontypool, on a previous podcast. And some of I, his other what a great films. Film. Yeah, some of his other films include The Tracy Fragments and Hillians and one called This Movie is Broken, which is pretty cool. Anyway, that's about it. Uh, he's a renegade filmmaker, total rock and roller. Look him up. I tell you, I saw, I saw Roadkill uh, on SBS. They played it. Great and film. I instantly fell in love with it. And I spent like a long time searching for it. I finally found it on, on VHS. It was uh, released un, under the Curzon label of all the like, yep. art house films. It came out and it, I like thoroughly love it. I've got the import DVD somewhere. It is Same. a phenomenal film. Same. I like the trilogy. I think all three films back to back are really damn good. I think Highway 61 is real a real close sort of successor to Roadkill because it's kind of the same concept, but just with a bit more of a budget and it's in color. But yeah, no, it's great. Don McCullough wrote the sequel. Have you seen uh, Alison Anders' uh, Border Radio? No, I haven't. I'm not a fan of Alison Anders, but I do know the film you're talking about. I think if you if you like Roadkill, you'll like Border Radio. Cool, like, I'll I think give you it a should, shot. You should definitely check it out. I just, uh, that I, is, just lo- I just love Bruce McDonald and the kind of worlds he creates. Yeah, I quite enjoyed Hellions actually. I thought like we I worked on the release of it, and I I, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, but yeah, I loved I, I loved Pontypool. Yeah, Pontypool's is great. So what have you got for us? My film, my recommendation this week is nothing like, <laughs> kind of nothing like that. It's from 1971. It's a movie called Gumshoe. Uh, it's available on Blu-ray through a powerhouse uh, or indicator in the UK. So you can get it. It's probably on, on various streaming services. It's, uh, I believe it's Stephen Freer's first first film. Yeah, that's uh, where I'm from. Yep. Yeah. Stars Albert Finney, uh, Billy Whitelaw, uh, and Janice Rule. And basically... Uh, Albert Finney plays this kind of, he's a bingo caller uh, slash wannabe comedian who works at a, um, he works at a kind of man, I think it's, I think it's in Manchester or something like that. He works at a kind of semi kind of nightclub 
um, and he's but he he doesn't earn much money from that. He's kind of, he's on the dole and yeah. um, kind of uh, living a living in a kind of a flat above a shop kind of thing. And he he for his, he's a big fan of of um, private detective novels. Like he he's like into into that kind of thing. So for his birthday, he places an ad in the paper. Uh, advertising his services as a private detective as a, as a kind of joke and then he gets this he gets a phone call telling him to come to this hotel and meet him in you know room 601 and when he gets there there's a you know there's a there's a fat guy this very kind of sydney green street type kind of fat guy facing facing the a tv who tells him that you know the package is on the um is on the counter and and he should take it and get lost and there's it's like a, a wad of cash and a gun and so basically uh, he finds out that he's like supposed to kill this, this woman, but they've got the wrong person and he kind of gets involved in this kind of conspiracy that has to do with his kind of um, um, his brother has something to do with it. And there's like there's a whole kind of, all these kind of ramifications, but it is, it is a very, very good kind of private detective movie. If you like that kind of stuff and it's, and it's all set kind of seemingly kind of, if it's not Thatcher era, written it's pre thatcher but it's like a very kind of yep. depressed kind of um uk um kind of period and it's 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 an excellent film so very, is that easy for film. people to come across other than the blu-ray or dvd is it on a streaming service uh to be honest i'm not sure if it is on a streaming service um i don't know i think it's got i don't think anyone in australia has has picked up the rights to it okay well Try to track it down. That's your challenge, I guess, for this episode. You can and, jump on uh, zavi.com.au. You can buy the you can buy the UK import because they're the same region as us, so it's all fine. Yeah, cool. And um, I forgot to mention that Roadkill is actually on Amazon Prime, so you can catch that there. But that is about it. It's um, time to go. But before we do, uh, if you know what movie was playing earlier in the show during that mystery TV spot, then send your answer to me, glenn at fakeshemp.net. The first two answers will win copies of the creepy ghost movies Behind the Trees and We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which are two of Eagle Entertainment's new releases for this month. In typical fashion, thanks to Jarrett, Yamo and Adam for their endless support and awesome segments. And a huge thanks to you for tuning in with us each week. Please continue to do that. Share our show and support what we do. Don't forget our midweek videos on Facebook and YouTube. And come back next week because our special guest will be American actor Chad Michael Collins, star of the Sniper franchise, as well as uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Should be a great chat and um, be sure to be here and catch it. And that's it, Ben. We're out of here. Thanks, mate. Good episode. Cheers, mate. See you next week. Yes, and thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, We're going to leave you with a song called Ghost by Kid Cudi. And the reason I choose this one is because it hits me hard every time in the feels. And I hope it hits you too. Uh, We'll see you next week, everyone. Bye. Nobody's up to 
so crazy and filled with such rescuers. I just know I gotta touch them. Yeah. 